It's Dr. Sue's Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Stuart Fishbine, and I'm here with my protege, the blisterious one. Hello, hello. Who's always smiling. <laughs> wow. I love your outfit. Thanks. Same one as last time. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to like be, be sneaky about it so we could pretend it's a different day. <laughs> but as everybody knows, when we do a session, we usually record two podcasts. Uh... Sometimes we could, you know, we should probably do more because we have these big gaps. Yeah, today like, we could probably have done more. Because we are both free today. And we had this big gap in July because uh, when you were ill for a while and then you went on your travels. I was ill. Right. We didn't talk about that. I was very ill. Yeah, we could talk about that briefly real quickly. But I just want to uh, get through the business here first. Yeah. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. You can uh, comment on it. Uh, right? Yeah, review. Review. That's mm-hmm. right. Review. And then mm-hmm. you can find us on Facebook. At drsuespodcast.com. You can find it on my website at Birthing Instincts. You can find us on your podcast app. And you should subscribe to it. Make sure you're on there. You can find me at info at, uh, oh, excuse me, at ask Dr. St- I got so many emails now. <laughs> I can't stand it anymore. <laughs> ask Dr. Stu at gmail.com. That's askdrstu, S T U, at uh, uh, gmail.com, or you can find Bliss at. Uh, you can find me at birthingbliss.com or birthingblissmidwifery on social media. Yeah. Do you tweet? I don't tweet. No, we don't tweet. Neither one of us tweets. Yeah. And I'm at, I'm at birthing instincts on, uh, social, on uh, Instagram. Have you heard of Reddit? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I have no idea what it does, but I've heard well, of it. Well, my son yesterday was like looking at Reddit, my oldest. Um, and uh, I was like, what is that? And he's just like stupid videos or something. He's like, no, there's lots of stuff on there. And then later on he was like, mom, you should be on Reddit because there's like people who, you know, are into the birth world. And then you could, I'm like, oh, great. I don't need uh, one uh, more friggin' thing to, no thanks. No, if we, were, if we were trying to expand our own businesses, that would make sense. I mean, I kind of am. Well, yeah, but you, 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 you know, do they have Reddit for for the West Side of Southern? West oh, side I of don't LA? know enough about it. <laughs> no, I think it's an international. Uh, well, eventually I want to be international. You yeah, know. yeah, I know that, but that's mm-hmm. not. I, I get that for the for advocacy and stuff like that. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But uh, what what so what's your ultimate goal? Because if you want to be international, you, you can't be a, you can't be taking care of people no, laboring want, in uh, in uh, Mumbai. No, I want to take the information that I give to my individual clients, and I want to make it an international platform. Yeah, well, yeah, we should use, we we should do some YouTube videos. We should actually. Do some instructional YouTube videos. People have said that before. I've got a few on on the web, but they're old. Okay. And uh, people have said that, why don't you put your lectures on YouTube? And, you know, part of me would love to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some of my lectures that are videoed, but the problem is, is all the videos that I use when I teach, the birth videos are proprietary and uh, Mm -hmm. I can't have them on public forum or public access. Right, right, right. Because the clients don't want that. They, mm-hmm. They're happy to let me use it for teaching, but they don't want it up on social media. Yeah, I get it. So do I. It's a very personal time mm-hmm. because it's a very vulnerable time in yes, some it ways. Is. Yep. Yeah, you were vulnerable last month for a little bit. Oh, when I got sick? Yeah. Gosh, I was so sick. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's the first time I think I've ever done a house call like that. Really? For yeah. me? Yeah, he came and I, I put it up on, on Instagram. Some some of you might have seen, but Stu came with his student and gave me an IV um, because I thought I had the flu. And I sat in bed for three days uh, feeling really terrible, horrible headache, um, just like, you know, flu-like, really. And uh, so I, I was just trying to like muscle my way through it until it passed. 
And then it turns out that I finally went to the ER two days after that um, because I wasn't getting better. And Augustine said, you should be getting better by now. You really should get checked out. And I was like, "Ah, I'm fine. But I woke up at four in the morning and I was like, I cannot do another day like this. So I showed up and waited in the ER waiting room for like two hours almost, basically in the fetal position, like shivering and like, and so it just was awful. And um, so when I came in, I, uh, you know, I don't like to take medications. I don't like to do any of that stuff. But when they were telling me what they were going to put in my IV, I was like, yes, whenever you give me anti-nausea and, and, you know, pain medication and just like make me feel better. And they did. Oh, wait, so you got an IV in the ER? I did. Was that after I had given you the IV too? Yeah, two days later. Oh you, oh, you were still sick. Did the IV that we gave you at home make any difference? No. Interesting. No, because I had a kidney infection. Oh, that's right. It wasn't the flu. It wasn't the flu. I totally forgot. I needed I needed antibiotics. And, yeah. And that's the funny part is that I sat in bed. Just the infection was just festering. But you didn't really have the, the you flu. didn't have the classic flank pain, did you? I had something going on, but it f- did not. It didn't. I did the what is that? C C C V A T. Yeah, I did that on myself. Where it, you it stands for costal vertebral angle tenderness. You take your fist and you pound your pound your kidney and you yeah. just bang it. So I did that and it didn't. I it didn't get activated. So I just you know I yeah, thought it's very unusual to have a pyelonephritis like that and not have kidney uh, pain. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you've got super kidneys. It was very interesting and uh, humbling. And um, I was a bit of a bitchy patient, and I apologized after I felt better. But they had the, you know, the uh, blood pressure cuff on me, and it's irritating. How often was to it have blown it on? Up? Well, that was the thing. They're like, well, they put it on me, and they're like, okay, well, you know, just leave this here. And I'm like, how often do you need to take my blood pressure? Blood pressure? And he said every hour. I'm like, could I take it off for an hour then? He was like, well, guess so. I'm like, okay, you know, it was just like those kind of things, and right. I just wasn't tolerating. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense in an ER that they take your blood pressure every hour. I mean, That's fine. Yeah. They can take my blood pressure every hour, but I just didn't want to sit there with Well, they wanted to make sure that on. you weren't going into some sort of septic shock or something like that, so that makes perfect sense. But the idea yeah. that you have to sit there and wear it the whole time. Stupid. It is. Anyways, so guess what? No. I don't have insurance. Oh, my gosh. And I knew that when I went in, yep. but, you know, my friend was like, ah, it'll be a thousand bucks, whatever. You know, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll figure it out. 3000 no, it was actually $5,000, but they gave me a discount because I didn't have insurance. Mm-hmm. The labs that would have cost me to do, maybe $120. Guess how much they charged me? 800 $1,800 for my labs. Yep. And $600 you, for the... For the Stuff that they put in my. Do you IV. understand? Uh, Eighteen hundred. Right, and you you're smart. You understand the idea that that the reason they're charging you that is because they're getting screwed on like the Medi-Cal and Medicare reimbursement rates that they have to take. So they charge people they can with PM, PPO insurance or cash. Higher rates. That's where you get the fifty dollars aspirin and old jokes about that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's they not charge a joke. The ridiculous rates. So this is one of the criticisms. We're not talking politics on Doctor Stu's podcast, but this is one <laughs> of the criticisms of the people that want Medicare for all. Is that if if everyone's on Medicare, then hospitals, a lot of them will close mm-hmm. because they cannot stay open on what's the on the reimbursement rate. 
Well, the system would have to change because there which, which are other would, countries that do it just fine. So the system, how we're doing it now, you like can't put a Band-Aid on, on our medical system. It has to be like I agree. Revamped. Oh, yeah but, it, yeah, but there's too much vested interest in it, so it's well, going to be really difficult. It's, something's going to Difficult happen. to do that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's interesting because that sort of gets me into one of the issues that, that I, I wrote about. It'll probably be a couple weeks ago now that this podcast comes out. And I hope that people have seen it by now. You know, I'm also wondering about Facebook sometimes and um, because when I used to post something on Facebook... A lot of times I would get 2,000, 4,000, 8,000 views, or whatever they call them on mm-hmm, Facebook. Mm-hmm. Not likes, but, but, but views or whatever they call it. Sometimes even 20,000. Mm-hmm. And the last few things I posted on Facebook, you know, 600, 800, maybe 1,000. Yeah. And I'm not sure if, that, if that's just random or if that's because Facebook has an algorithm or something that says, well, you know, this is outside the norm or I'm being bombarded all the time with boost your post, boost your post on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I think what they're doing is they're squeezing me and I'm not sure just me, I'm squeezing a lot of people by potentially saying, well, your, your numbers are down. If you boost your post by paying us some money, then like that hand signal. Yeah. Well, I can't can't see that on the radio, but (laughs) pay some money. Um, then, uh, then you'll get more. You know, get more people. But, but I never. You're suspicious. I am suspicious because mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's in the news now about how some people are getting banned or some people are getting shut down or, or what do they call it? Um, not shadow banning, but there's something where they call it where they're getting restricted or whatever mm-hmm. else. And and you know this is I'm not a it's not political. I, I you know I have used the word vaccine on my uh, post on occasion, and that's a key word. Yeah. And they do, you know, I know that from my friend Jennifer, who whenever she talks about vaccines, she uses a euphemism for vaccines and always posts a picture of like fluffy little puppies or something <laughs> so that uh, it, gets, it gets past the uh, algorithm sensors. But I'm not sure. It's just an odd thing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I hope that you guys, if you haven't read it so far, you should go to my blog page. That would be on uh, birthinginstincts.com. Click at the top on the blog. It'll be the probably the first blog because I probably won't have written another one by then. Uh, and, the, and the blog is entitled, that's no, not entitled, it's titled. <laughs> My blog is yeah. entitled. No, yeah. <laughs> it's entitled to be seen by more people. No, uh, it's called The Straw Men of Ethics, A Different Opinion. And the p- reason I wrote this is because in the July issue of the American Journal of OBGYN, once again, uh, 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 several authors, including two of guys that I've talked about and, and written about many times before, uh, Frank Chavernak and uh, Amos Grunbaum from originally Cornell University, now I think one of them's at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York, notorious anti-home birth, anti-midwife um, writers, I'll be, I'll be polite, they're writers, uh, who editorialize a lot about home birth, and they often quote faulty data, and they are clearly anti-home birth, and every article they write is about why home birth is unethical and why anybody who supports it is unprofessional, and they've done it once again in an article that was written uh, in the July issue of the American Journal of OBGYN. It's called The Gray Journal. They're persistent. Yeah, and and really what, uh, you know, to summarize, because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I think you'll read my blog, you'll figure it out, but what they do is they come up with what are called, what I would call straw man arguments. A straw man argument is essentially... Um, to intentionally misrepresent a proposition that is set up because it is easier to defeat 
than an opponent's real argument. So in other words, they come up with things that no one ever says or that seem to be r really, really small differences and then they, then they attack them with fervor and then, it, and then they show how, how stupid these arguments are because they've been able to attack the arguments that no one is making. And this is what they've done. They, and they come up with the idea that, that the even though the actual risk of home birth is, uh, to babies is small, and if you look at numbers in general, the Royal College of OBGYN looks at the risk of, um, well, actually, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm confounding breech birth with uh, home birth, but the risks are, in, in some papers, are a three- to four-fold increase in neonatal mortality or neonatal morbidity in home birth than in uh, hospital births. But a lot of those rely... Yeah, but what paper was that? Well, a lot of those people question. rely on the wax paper, which was a horrible paper, and, okay. and I've already written about that. You can go find that in my blog, too, about the wax paper. But interestingly enough, when they state their, their disdain for home birth, what's so funny about it is that they, in, in their references, they put five references for why home birth is, um, is uh, dangerous. Here's what they say. They say, um, United States... A planned home birth in the United States has been shown in to be associated with significant increased absolute and relative risk of neonatal death and morbidity. And then they quote references 10 through 14. Mm -hmm. So I went to look and see what references 10 through 14 are. Mm -hmm. Four of them are their own articles. <laughs> okay. So you got the two authors quoting themselves, mm -hmm. and the fifth one is the wax paper. So mm -hmm. they're quoting five papers, four of which are their own their own opinions on the wax paper as then evidence that home birth is dangerous. And then the basing their opinion on a paper that has been shown by many, many authors, including a good article in Medscape that, and, and actually one of a, a, a midwife, and I can't remember who it is, wrote a beautiful uh, rebuttal to it. And I've got a link to that on, on my blog page somewhere back whenever the wax paper came out, which was probably seven, eight, nine years ago. You could maybe ask Renee to put it in the show notes. Got to try to find that. Okay. Yeah. It's just, you know, you start to get reference to death and people can only read so much. It's true. So, you know, my credibility is on the line when I do these sorts of things. And I, you know, and I know that I'm preaching to my choir and these two guys are, are whatever their, whatever their, their um, reasons for being is or the raison d'etre that they exist for, which is to, you know, in this case, attack, attack home birth and people that support it. Um, it, it, they should at least have a logical you know, argument that holds water. And, and the other thing they do is they say that, that home birthers compare the risk of, of trial of labor after cesarean to the risk of, um, of or to sim it's similar analogy to home birth. It's called analogic reasoning. And can you tell me, can you explain that part a little bit more? Because yes. when I was reading it, I didn't quite understand. Okay, what they state is that, is that people who support home birth will say that the risk is acceptable because ACOG and other people support the risk of VBAC, which is considered acceptable, and therefore they conflate the two, and they say, well, if it's risk of VBAC is acceptable, then why isn't the risk of home birth acceptable? Mm, I see. The problem with that argument is that I've never heard anyone make it, yeah. ever. <laughs> and I've been in the, involved with the home birthing world for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where they got that one from. But they, they heard it one time from some somebody. Or or they made it up. Or they made it yeah. up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's no reference for that one. So I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. Well there might be, but I didn't I didn't notice it. Yeah. So anyway, so I I, I, I took the I took their them to task for what they did. Mm -hmm. 
And rather than spend a lot of time on our, blog, our podcast today talking about it specifically, I would love people to, to go to the blog and read it. And, if they, and I'd love them to comment on it. You know, comment on it through, let, uh, through emails to us at askdrstu at gmail.com. And if you like it, share it. And please share it because even though this article didn't seem to make the, you know, I have a, a Google search for home birth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything comes up. And remember the whole Meghan Markle thing. With <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's immediately what came to my yeah, mind. Yeah, no, I know that. <laughs> but, but this article never showed up on that. Uh-huh. It's never showed up on it. So it didn't make a, it didn't make a wave like some of the other articles that they've done. But I, however, there is an article that's showing up currently. That's great. Which is great. Yeah. Because it, it takes... It's a win. It's, it's again, this is what cognitive dissonance does. When you choose to cherry pick the articles that you use to support you and you ignore the ones that are not in favor of your argument and then you ridicule people by saying if you support home birth based on what we're saying here then you're unprofessional and you should use and I, and I love the, I love the term that they use they come up with the term directive counseling yeah say more about that well directive counseling to me is a euphemism mm-hmm. all right and again I describe it in my paper as getting people to do something by explaining to them that that <coughs> their arguments in, for, in favor of home birth like the the lower relative risk or excuse me the the higher relative risk and the slightly higher actual risk but remember when we talk about actual risk we've talked about the fact that you need to know what the denominator is and if something has a relative risk that's three times higher but the denominator is 100,000 then what's the difference between 1 in 100,000 and 3 in 100,000 it's a small number right so what happens is, is that they, they use those numbers and they say that any patient that comes to you with this saying that the actual risk is really small, they say that that's not, that's not safe. It's not science. It's too much variation in it and we need to eliminate variation and we should direct our counseling to get them to tell them that, they're, that the safest place is to stay in the hospital and that we should not support home birth mm-hmm. and people that do are un- unethical. And that's basically their argument. Yeah. Couple things about that though, before I go off and talk about the good article, is in their articles, and every one of their articles they, they talk about, even the references that they do, they talk about the paramount endpoint as being neonatal death and neonatal morbidity. Okay. And although that's quite important, obviously, it's a small number, mm-hmm. right? But they never take into account the idea that there are other endpoints that women value. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I had a terrible experience in the hospital last time. I don't want to ever have that happen to me again. Mm-hmm. Or that I would rather have a home birth because I have some control over that than what I've heard about hospital birthing or have my birth plan. Uh, thing, or, or, or even like, you know, I, I have twins. If I go to the hospital, they're going to section me. Or somebody who has a, a very powerful spiritual or religious belief that what is intended to happen is going to happen and they are they just want to leave it alone and there you know some of my clients are like that and i really respect and honor that so. they don't because they think they think that that's not that's not uh uh ethical and it's not val- it's not valid because and it doesn't honor the same belief system that they have which is you know our country is based on the fact that we're supposed to be able to honor everybody's religious beliefs but somehow in the medical world this starts to get really like you know collapsed so and the neonatal death rate is is again one of those things where where yes it's 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 terrible when that happens mm-hmm. 
right. But if you, if you tell everyone they have to be in the hospital, then the hospital model needs to be understand that, that when a woman walks into a hospital, overall she has about a 30% chance of having a cesarean section. Right. She stays home, it's about 7% if you talk about the same cohort of low-risk women. And we're not talking about what I do. What I do is a different topic, but I'm talk- what they're, they're talking about midwives. They're mm-hmm. not talking about the, 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 the crazy Dr. Stu who does this thing. Is one of the only few people in the country that does it. Right. They're talking about just home birth in general. And so if they have uh, a, 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 a four times greater chance of having a cesarean section in the hospital, yes, they may not have a neonatal death in this pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But all they've done is push the risk downstream to the next pregnancy. Right. And none of this stuff is taken into account. And the whole idea of variation being something that's, that they, they can't control. Mm-hmm. So they, want, they think the, the, that variation is unacceptable. And if you really want to have a, a clearer understanding of this, it's, it's, their article is d- tough to read because they go off on, on tangents. But the whole idea of variation is such that if you take their... their their argument to the logical conclusion, then what about the variation in hospital qualities? Right. Should hospitals that don't have 24-hour anesthesia, should hospitals that don't have a good you know, safety record, should hospitals that don't have, uh, that have a high C-section rate, should they be closed? Should we, should we advocate against those hospitals? Maybe. Well, according to their logic, if you take it, you know, and again, they, they would say that my analogic reasoning is faulty, but their analogic reasoning is fine. Right. And this is what they would do. And you can't win with people like this. Mm-hmm. All right. They, they have, uh, they, uh, people that put ideology ahead of common sense or, or, or they put monetary uh, uh, or economic interests ahead of, ahead of you know, um, informed consent. All right. Or they, human rights. Yeah, the, the, the truth is not a value to these people. And we live with this in, in everything we, you know, in everything that we talk about. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, just before you were talking, and I've, I, I, the thing has slipped my mind, but you were talking about something earlier, and I was really going to tie it together really well. <laughs> and, and then I think I should have had a snack. Remember we talked about having sandwiches between... I just ate a salad. I know, you did. So you're going to be sharp, and I'm not. <laughs> you can have some. <laughs> But anyway, so I, I just think that people should read the blog so that they're equipped to understand what we're up against mm-hmm. in that we are being told um, that there's only one way to do things and how to counsel people and anybody who does things that's different. You know, the, the beneficence-based model of ethics used to be the standard. And beneficence, you know, it, it, it allows for, for informed consent and patient choice mm-hmm. and respecting autonomy as long as the decisions are relatively reasonable. Okay, well, they don't believe they're reasonable, and so they've come up with a, a different form of ethics called professional responsibility ethics, which gives them the, the possibility, the idea that, that their science can trump patient autonomy and that we have an obligation to convince people by directive counseling that they should do something different. But you know what's really interesting about that when I was reading your blog and I was thinking about this subject is... When I was doing the sanctuary, I did a lot of research with a with a lawyer to figure out whether or not we should invest in um, malpractice insurance. And he did a cost-benefit analysis and said, based on the fact that midwives are rarely sued, he didn't recommend that we do it. 
So one of the reasons why, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the reasons why midwives are rarely sued is because we do true informed consent and we partner with our clients in decision making. When you look at what happens, and I thought it was interesting that your doctors are actually trained to make the decisions for these clients and that he, they're saying specifically that it's your ethical uh, responsibility to actually, if you believe that the science trumps their logic, then you should be telling them what to do. Right. And then if you have a bad outcome, you're going to you're gonna be held responsible. Whereas if you give them informed consent, true informed consent, and you really make the, and you partner in this decision-making process, then there's, they, they are partially responsible for their choices because we can't control everything. This is part of how we counsel people in birth and labor, right? Like you can't control everything. And those who think that they can, scientists that believe that we can control everything, you know, there's always going to be a statistical well, that gets into the whole potential that something's going to happen. The whole argument of my paper was to talk about, I, I talk about lo mm -hmm. logic mm -hmm. and I get into inductive and deductive logic. And that's the thing mm -hmm. about in, inductive logic is that there is no certainty right. with inductive logic. And with deductive logic, every step along the way has to be true or the whole argument falls apart. And that's a very high bar and nobody actually... Perfection. Yeah, nobody ever can really deal with deductive logic. So it's... Maybe Sherlock Holmes, maybe, but but <laughs> nobody else. So it's inductive. It's inductive reasoning and mm -hmm. or du inductive logic. And there's always room for for um, well, there's no certainty. Yeah, so, like life. So the, there's the, no when there's no certainty to 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 skew your counseling or coerce people, even subtle coercion is coercion to Agreed. to um, to do something that may not meet with their life decisions. Because you think as a, as a physician that, that your way is the only way or the right way, which these two guys always do. Mm -hmm. The arrogance of these two it's guys dangerous. is paternalistic. It's very, very weird. weird. And, and I, I have to give one example of when they talk about the risk, the, um, the actual risk thing, they justify in their arguments defeating the, um, the, the idea that the, even though the actual risks are small, you should do something. They justify giving flu shots to every pregnant woman in this way. Okay? The risk of, getting, of dying from influenza A during pregnancy is 1 in 454,000 and change. Mm -hmm. All right? If you give the flu shot, it they say it significantly reduces that risk. Explain to me what significantly reducing a risk of 1 in 454,000 does. Because it's right? already so low. It's, yeah, in my paper, I call it, so they're going from near zero to something closer to near zero. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so they're saying, let's give all pregnant women something that's never been tested in pregnant women to drop the risk from near zero to closer to near zero. And that fits, that's, they use that in defense of their position. And I look at that and I go, if I were a woman and somebody told me there's a chance of 100, one in 454,000 of me dying from the flu from a, uh, without getting the vaccine, and it's much less. I, they didn't say what it is less, but it's say it's say it's one in two million. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you if you look at it the other way around, it's both of them are like ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance of not get not dying. But I'm going to put something in my body that my developing fetus is it's never been tested on. Mm -hmm. Why would I, why would a normal person make that decision? Because of the way that they counsel them. 
Yeah. Because they don't give them those numbers. They say it significantly lowers your chance of getting the flu and dying. But it's unethical to not give someone actual risk numbers. Agreed. Remember, I always say that what the denominator is is what matters. Yeah, if you agreed. don't know the denominator, then relative risk means nothing. Yeah. Anyway, it's really important. I, I, you know, if I had, if I'm not a big fan of like, uh, of, of challenges or something like that. I mean, I like to live my life and do my thing and self care with myself. But <laughs> uh, you know, this will never happen because they would, they would. They don't look at me as, as a colleague or an equal, mm-hmm. but I would love to be on a debate stage with one of those guys. Did you, did you hashtag tag them? I had, well, I, 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 um, I went at Amos Grunbaum. The other one didn't have an Instagram that I could find. Oh. But I did. You did? Yeah. Great. Yeah. What'd you say? Nothing. I just said, I just, you can read my Instagram report and I put a link to the paper and I just put uh, at Amos Groomground so that he can, uh, he can look at So that at. he'll see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Great. Right. Did you challenge him? No, not there. To a duel? To a duel. <laughs> no. Hey, this is a little off topic, but it'll only take a second. We're both, nobody would want to watch a duel between sectogenarians, I don't think. He might be 70. I'm, I'm in my 60s. Oh, I was like, what are that? Yeah, it's somebody in their 70s. Sectogenarians is 60. Septogenarians is... In your 70s. Well, you said sex. And so I was like, what's that? That's what six is, though. Um, So I heard the statistic, and I don't have a reference for the statistic, but it's interesting. Men, when they are 20% confident, they will talk about something as if it's the truth. And when women, women have to be 80% confident to talk about it as if it's the truth. I don't think that that's true. I notice in our dynamic that it's true. I'm 20% sure that that's not true. And I don't think it's true. <laughs> I, I watch men say things that they, they are like, I think that they, they're so confident. I'm like, really? And then as we look into it, it's like, oh, maybe not. But I, I don't like to talk about anything unless I feel like very Yeah, like, but you know, I guess, I guess my mind it. immediately when you said that went to like the, um, the, the politicians mm-hmm. running for office. Uh-oh. And everything that comes out of their mouth, they sound like they believe. They have to, though. They have to sound confident because you're a leader. You're you're wanting to be seen. But as there's the no way that that they're eighty percent sure sure that what they're saying is true. These women women politicians, don't men know. maybe men. It might be true for men. I don't know. Oh, the women. It's not true. The eighty percent. No, the women. Are, women are just as bad as men. Okay. That's what I think. I think it takes me a lot longer to say something than most men I know. I kind of respect it in a way because you have the confidence to just. Say well, we're something. just always trying to pr- imp- uh, impress women. <laughs> See? Especially ones that are YP. <laughs> if you haven't oh, listened I'm to gonna that try podcast. To, I'm going to try to get YP into every podcast from now on <laughs> at least once. It's yoga pants. It, you have to listen back. If you don't know what we're talking about, you have to listen to previous podcasts. 149. He's got the number. 149. Listen to 149. Okay, anyways, I, just, I promised everybody that I would continue to make this interesting. So I just thought I would throw in that statistic before we move on. Well, well like what, what it wasn't interesting before? <laughs> you said it might be a little, you said this podcast might be a little boring. And I said, I promise I'll make it interesting. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's not like some of our podcasts where we're just chatting because this is, well, we are chatting. But there, there's, there are so many facts here. And it's hard for me to put it out in a podcast when I, you know, when I write it down, mm-hmm. that's why I, I do love writing. I love our podcast because it helps to me to, it's like a, it's like a gas valve that releases my pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> but the, the, um, 
but blogging is really where I get it done because then I th- I think and I th- and I like writing mm-hmm. and I and I put a lot of effort into the yeah and to you these fact things. checked and do resources and all of that I do yeah. I mean I don't I don't necessarily put in references to myself but <laughs> <laughs> fourteen through eighteen that's me <laughs> oh it's so funny it's so funny <laughs> that they did that you know and the other thing too is it's published did I say this already it's published in a journal that that one of the authors is um is a on the advisory board of. You wrote about it, but I don't think you mentioned oh, yeah. it on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is there a conflict of interest there to, to publish yourself in a journal that you're part of the editorial board or whatever it is? And didn't you say that you thought maybe that's why your papers didn't get in there, right? Didn't you say that? No, I oh. would think my papers wouldn't get in there because I'm, I'm, I'm out in left field compared to them. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, my paper, I had a nice relationship with the editor of the Green Journal, which is the most prestigious journal. Mm-hmm. We had a nice email relationship going on and... And she appreciated what I had to write sometimes, but she said, this, <laughs> we're not ready for this sort of thing. All right. No, keep going. Which is too bad. Keep going. Because eventually they are going to have to be ready. Because eventually, as Augustine used to say, we're going to reach critical mass. Yeah. There's a baseball movie, and I can't remember which one. It's like numbers. It has numbers, like 56 or something. It was with Brad Pitt. No, that one was Money Moneyball. Money yeah. I'm, I'm confusing baseball. But Moneyball. Do you yeah. remember there's a... There's a scene where they're talking about the first guy who breaks through the wall is the one that's the most bloodied. Oh, and yeah. I think about that all the time as leaders. So you're feeling a little bit of that, I think. But keep going. Okay. We all appreciate you. Okay. I mean, they don't, but we do. <laughs> Thanks, Bliss. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. So um, uh, in contrast to that, however, yeah, my, my home birth... Uh, Google feed came up with this study from McMaster University that's all over the place, almost as common as Meghan Markle uh, of late. I, you can't see me, but I'm smiling from ear to ear because I love when this kind of stuff happens. Well, this is a this is a study that the title of the study, the research paper says, perinatal or neonatal mortality among women who intend at the onset of labor to give birth at home. So. As mm-hmm. we always talk about, it's different than having the taxi births and the uh, mm-hmm. and the unplanned births. Planned home births. And that means they're planned generally with a skilled practitioner. Compared to women of low obstetrical risk who intend to give birth in the hospital, a systemic review and meta-analysis. All right. And again, I would like to look at, I'll wait for the criticisms to come out of this paper. But I actually read, the, I read, I read most of the whole paper. It's a long paper and it's got like a lot of stuff in it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the findings were such that, and again, you know how I look at papers. I look at the material methods section, and I'm very critical of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are these are meta-analysis papers. They're looking back at uh, at at a bunch of different institutions. They, there are flaws with meta-analysis papers. Uh, we've talked about that. The wax paper was a meta-analysis, totally flawed. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that there are pe- people who find flaws with this. But they d- went out of their way to control for factors that that would change things like, uh, you know, people with babies with, who weren't planned or babies with anomalies, that sort of thing. And they, and they really cleaned it up. Mm-hmm. And they came up with the, this finding. It says, we identified 14 studies eligible for meta-analysis, including 500,000 intended home births. Um, i trying to remember which countries this was involved with, but there were multiple countries, including the United States. Uh, yeah, like Netherlands, England, um Switzerland. Yeah, they were all like it's in here someplace, but European I, uh, countries. But the, but it included the United States. It did. Okay, um, among nulliparous women, nulliparous women. Okay, 
uh, first-time moms, intending a home birth in settings where midwives attending home birth are well integrated into the health service health services. The odds ratio of perinatal or neonatal mortality, uh, I think neonatal mortality is in the first 28 days and perinatal, no, that's in the first seven days and perinatal is in the first 28 days of life. Um, compared to those uh, intending hospital birth was 1.07. So I didn't understand that. They have one number. Yes. But they're, so what's the number? It's the relative risk. So the, the risk is of a, of a neonatal death happening if the standard is one in the hospital, mm-hmm. at home it's 1.07. Okay. Okay, which is essentially statistically not significant. So the same basically number. the same. Okay. Same number. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. And then they went on, um, and in less integrated settings, it was 3.17. So in systems where you don't have good integration, you have higher mortality, which is just a, like a duh, that's a brainless moment. Of course that's true. So in the States, right. we have a less integrated system than in some of the European countries Correct. who have better statistics than us. And in certain parts of the state, we have smooth transition in the States, and in other parts we don't, and most of the other parts we don't. And that was the other one I was trying to remember um, the specific name of that we talked about in a recent podcast that was looked at um, America specifically and which states had the highest um, integration, the lowest integration and the highest uh, infant mortality. Yeah. Um, But I couldn't remember the name of that one. You can't either. No, I can't. I can't either. Yeah. But that's becoming a topic. Yeah. And these are all, it's just all common sense. It's like the follows the, 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 um, idiot, is it idiom? No, that's the wrong word. It it follows the, the axiom Mm -hmm. that idiom, I don't know what an idiom is, but (laughs) it follows the axiom of that. If a study confirms what common sense dictates, it's probably true. And if it defies common sense, it's probably not true. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it, it, it makes perfect sense that um, when you have integrated systems, you're going to more likely have uh, better results. There was a paper that came out recently saying, here's a no-brainer, Bliss. They came mm-hmm. out saying that that people who are moving during the first trimester of pregnancy... Yeah are more likely to have preterm labor. Yeah. It's like, well, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> stress. Right. Yeah. Right. They say that, that stress is b- bad for pregnancy. Okay. Right. So here, <laughs> okay. I'm going to open a can of worms here. All right. Which system puts more stress on the pregnant woman? The midwifery model? No. Or the hospital model? Yes. Of course. Yes. So the hospital model is, is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You need the hospital because outcomes are not good Outcomes are not good because of the model by which you're, you're, from the moment you conceive, you're being told all the things that potentially can go wrong. What's that word again that talks, that says that something is caused by the medical model itself? Atrogenic. Okay. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I like that word. Yeah. <laughs> Say it. Say it again. Iatrogenic. 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 Do you want to know what idiom is? Yes. Oh, you looked it up? I did. Yeah. What does it mean? Uh, a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deducible from those of the individual words, e.g. rain, cats, and dogs see the light. Oh. So there is a word of idiom, and I was completely using it incorrectly. Huh? 
I was using the word incorrectly. Well, you knew that already, but now we know what it means. Yes. I read the definition. I still don't really know what it means. <laughs> well, it's putting group of words together that, that the words themselves don't mean, don't mean what they say, but because it, it, it can't possibly rain cats and dogs. Ah, uh, I see. All right. Yep. I had to read it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, when you read it, it was a little confusing. I think we could call this podcast uh, Confusion Confounded. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people would want to be on there. Anyway, nonetheless, this is this is it's nice information. Now I can tell you again. This uh, now I'm surmising. Now I'm giving my uh, well, I was giving my opinion the whole time. It's my opinion on their opinion. It's your podcast. Because by the way, their piece is an opinion piece. Mm-hmm. All right, the two the two guys out of Cornell or whatever they are. Yeah. And um, my opinion is on their opinion. Yeah. And so everyone's entitled to opinion, but not everyone's entitled to their own facts. Right. Patrick, Moyn- Patrick uh, Moynihan said that. Yeah. Right. So this article be really interesting to see what the anti-home birth people think of this article. What they'll probably say is, well, we don't have that system in the United States, and therefore we can't, you know, have have uh, we can't be doing home birth here. But I would argue that. But even then, the the statistic is low. You just read that for. Places. Yeah, but that's that's an integrated systems. But I would I would argue that that maybe it isn't the hospital that's bad from our perspective, but maybe it's the it's the way we practice in the hospital. If if people could go to a hospital mm-hmm. and just check in like they're checking into a hotel mm-hmm. and be left alone, yeah, and ask for help when they wanted it, or have their personnel with them that they wanted and be left alone. Yeah. We might have better. We might have much better outcomes in the hospital, but when I see these same things where people say we just need to make the hospital more homelike, I always laugh. I mean, I'm hysterical. I've said this a thousand times, but but anybody who says that doesn't understand about mammalian birth. Right. They just don't. They don't get it. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm going to move on. Okay. Okay. Because I think we beat that horse to death. And I think we're going to skip the uh, fact that birth rate is falling all over the Western world. People aren't having as many babies. They aren't having as many babies. Mm -hmm. Millennials. Okay, here's the preterm risk one. May increase with moving. All right. Mm -hmm. And I think that the first sentence was pretty funny. It says, a healthy pregnancy is associated with a relaxed body and mind. All right. Stress during pregnancy can lead to several complications. Premature birth, small for gestational age, low birth weight. I'm not sure what the difference is between those two. They always say small for gestational age, and they separate it out, low birth weight. But isn't low birth weight also small for gestational age? No? Are they different? I don't know. I don't know. Well, you're, you're puzzled. You look puzzled there. I'm thinking. That's my thinking look. Anyway, don't move. Everybody pre- does. I know. And they can they reconstruct their house. And but, they, you can, but you can, but you can just remember that the stress that you're putting upon yourself mm-hmm. may have epigenical effects on your baby. And so... Good point. Don't... Stress. Yeah. Find sure. ways for self-care in those situations where you are under under stress. And by the way, find practitioners who are not stressing you out. If at every visit you go to, you feel like you feel like crap when you're leaving, wake up. Yeah, get another practitioner. Yeah. That's a great point. What? Well, if stress is, is a, a reason for bad outcomes, then if your practitioner is stressing you out, then you just need to get a new practitioner. I like that. Yeah. And, 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 well, <laughs> and again, it depends on the system and if, whether, you can, whether you actually can do that or not. All right. I'm going to skip this stuff on, the, on vaccines because um, 
it's it's another negative. I, I, I would get on another rant, and I don't want to do any more ranting today. Yeah, plus, you know, we don't have the time. Well, I have a letter. Okay. Okay, this is a longer letter, and it's from a Dorit. And I don't know where Dorit's from. It's a 917 area code. Anybody know what 917 area code is? Is that New York? Possible. Okay. Okay. Uh, so she wants to know, um, I trust nature and my body, and I have educated myself immensely during the first seven months of pregnancy. My only concern is this is my first birth, and I am simply unfamiliar with the physiologic process on a sensory level. I plan to stay at home as long as I feel possible um, before heading to the hospital. I have a birth plan in the works, keeping all my desires listed, but do you have any tips for keeping any potential interventions at bay? Doula, New York. Ah, you looked it up. Uh -huh. Thanks, New York. Doula. Okay, so doula's one. For sure. Right. Sp explain why you say that, because I mean, most of our listeners know this already. Well, for one, it will help you feel, you and your partner feel more confident staying home longer, because, you know, I love that that analogy or whatever that says that it's hard for you to quarterback a game you've never played before, right? So if you've never done this before, it's really hard for you to know what's normal and what's not. But a doula who's been to attended a bunch of births is going to be able to help you decide that and help you stay relaxed at home. Um, and then once you get to the hospital, um, can advocate for you or help you advocate for you um, and remind you of things that you talked about prenatally with them and that are on your birth plan um, and can kind of sometimes see down the road a little farther than you can again because they've done this before. So they can see the writing on the wall. The doctor is suggesting X, Y, and Z or asking X questions, which might mean that they're trying to figure out whether or not it's time for a cesarean or to add in Pitocin which are interventions. Um, and so they can say, let's try these things preventatively ahead of time before we get to the point where they're starting to make those recommendations. So a doula, if you're having a hospital delivery and you are desiring- Especially if it's your first baby. Yeah, and if you are desiring an unmedicated delivery, um, I, a doula is gonna be one of your best chances of having that. Take and, a childbirth education class. And Dorit, you you obviously have your shit together because <laughs> you're writing us ahead of time. You've already got, you've sort of la laid this out. Mm -hmm. um, I did write her back and sort okay. of this is what I said to her. I said, congratulations, first of all. Yes. I always like to respond to people who are pregnant uh, by acknowledging the fact that they're pregnant and it's kind of a cool thing. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I always like to call people by their name. Even in texts. It's good. When I'm texting somebody, I'll go, hi, Bliss. How's your day? As opposed to, how's your day? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. There's something nice about, f nice, it's maybe a little formal, but it's something nice about using someone's name. Yeah. It makes them feel good. I'm going to start better, doing that low in stress. my text to you. Yeah. Yeah. Nice too. Nice too. <laughs> All right. Sounds to me like you are very well informed. While it is hard to give specific suggestions when I have a little knowledge, when I have little knowledge of your own, of you or your history, here are some general thoughts. And by the way, when people do write me, this is one of the things I find very important to tell them, that I can give you general ideas and stuff like that, but the advice that I give you or that people give you on Facebook, like I'm involved in the Coalition for Breach Birth website mm -hmm. and a few in the Breach Birth New Zealand, uh, Australia, New Zealand, and I and people will post that, I'm 37 weeks, my baby's breached, what do I do, blah, blah, blah. And, and my doctor said this, and then I read through that, and there are a lot of people there, some of whom are, are probably professional mid, midwives, and some who are 
lay people, they're all giving advice, like specific advice. Do this, don't do this. It's like really hard to do that. You really have to be careful. Mm -hmm. You don't know the woman. You don't know her story. You don't know what she was actually told. So it's sort of much better to give generalizations and then if they want to be more specific, they can then write you back with more specifics. But you need to be really careful about giving you know, sort of specific medical advice on, on a specific case. I just mm -hmm. want to tell people that because mm -hmm. I see it so much and, and sometimes I just want to shake my head because some people will, will go off on a, on a tangent and talk about what an anecdotal story that happened to them or something. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes it's not, it's not helpful. It's actually, these people are going on these lines looking for help, not looking for to be attacked or looking to be... Right, right. yeah, to be supportive for sure. Right. Okay. One suggestion that often eludes people is hiring a monotrice. Mm-hmm. Okay. So or a doula. You, oh, I got that. Mm -hmm. It's a home birth midwife who can come to your house, do medical stuff, <laughs> like listen to the baby, <laughs> check vital signs, offer support, and even do a vaginal exam. That way you can stay home until the last minute because you will know when you are truly getting close to pushing. Mm -hmm. Also having a doula well-versed in your desires. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you, you express that very well as far as at home. And, and then I mm -hmm. said also at the hospital... Your doula and partner can help you through the process and advocate on your behalf so that you can stay focused inward. Try to stay mobile, nourished, and hydrated. Check out the, quote, rules, unquote, of the hospital you're, you're going to regarding those things that you care about. Will they allow you to get into the shower or the tub? If not, then all the more reason to stay home as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, lastly is, I'm going to say what? All right. <laughs> Although it may cost more and it's not too late to consider staying home for the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course. I would say that months or years from now, the extra cost won't really mean anything, but the memory of the process will be with you always. True. Hope that helps a little. All right. Great. And then she wrote me back. She said, we actually have a meeting with a doula tomorrow. And while I'm not the type of person who necessarily wants or needs the extra foreign person or additional moral support. Mm-hmm. I do want to keep an open mind with regard to her obvious far superior expertise to mine. I will also look into the monetary situation in our area, so thanks for that too. And then she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't respond to the the home birth answer, but she mm -hmm. thanks us and wants us to keep doing what we're doing. Okay, we will. So we will. Mm -hmm. So anything else you want to add today? Quickly. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't have quickly. We, we, we're sure we're, t we're 10 minutes shorter than the last one. Well, I'm not going to get deep into it, but I did remember when you asked me of things that were on top of my mind, I forgot to mention that there's a little bit of a controversy happening in the midwifery world because um, the Midwifery Today conference was scheduled at a um, Christian camp which has rules about particular things that can and cannot be done there, including sex outside of marriage that's, and that's heterosexual. So there's a big uh, controversy about trying to pressure Jan to move this conference because it is not inclusive. No but, kidding, really? Yeah, you didn't hear about that? No, I'm not on that thread. Yeah. So, and the other thing is LGBTQIA. Did you know that there's more numbers? Oh, it's, yeah, it's not over. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to avoid getting into the intersectionality uh, t conversation, but I'd like to hear what the IA stands for because that's why oh, you asked. I looked it up yesterday because I was like, oh, wait, I don't know this. LGBTQ. 
Q-I-A. Sounds like a song. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, though. Yeah. Uh, refers to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning. That's what the Q is. Q is, right. Qu- queer or questioning, right. which is right. new, I think. Intersex. I've heard that before, though, but you know, intersex. And asexual or allied. I don't know what that means. Allied? What is, first, what does intersexual mean? Oh, you're making a face. I don't want to put it, you on the spot. Yeah. You, so we're, yeah, we're going to, oh, we're going to be really, now we're going to be, we're going to be, uh, no, Twitter it's okay. mobbed. <laughs> no, you know why? Because we're curious and we, we want to understand. We're just, you know, you how know, come there's no C in that? How come there's no curious? Curious should be one too. Isn't that questioning? No, questioning is not sure you what you want. Curious is sort of just, I'm just making this. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, <laughs> intersexual, existing or occurring between the sexes, relating to or having the condition of being intermediate between male and female. So maybe oh. people who have ambiguous actual genitalia and oh, or okay. aren't or, sure, or aren't sure just yeah. of their gen, you know, of their gender uh, expression. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and then what's, what was the other one? Um, the last one was an A. What was it stand for? Allied. Yeah, allied. What's that? That means that you are someone who is supportive and is an ally to people who are in these categories. Oh. Like, I'm an ally. Okay, well, you know, other than people who are totally against it, aren't, aren't most people understanding and allies? No, I guess not. Mm-mm. Because you're you're being informed, you're informing yourself, and you're really trying to uh, advocate for them. And <laughs> I won't go into it, but I remember what happened one time when you tried to inform yourself. <laughs> I know, but I was going to say, you know, when you were saying like, "Uh oh, we're going to get ourselves into trouble." Um, my mom is married to a woman. Yeah, she's been she's been out of the closet since I was like eight years old. Um, and I called her when I had a uh, situation where I was trying to be curious, and I got kicked out of a a conference um thing because i wasn't uh, one of them yeah i wasn't identifying you weren't part of the the alphabet soup well i wasn't identifying currently as someone who is gay or bisexual and so i called my mom i was really upset because i went there specifically to inform myself so i could be more supportive and she said you know I don't even know all of the things that are being referred to right now. And so don't be so hard on yourself. Just keep being interested and keep trying. Um, you know, there we're doing the best that we can to be informed and to be sensitive and to be inclusive. And I will continue to inform myself and continue to do that so that, you know, we we need to be gentle with ourselves as well. And this conference that they're talking about, the midwifery conference, is, a, is it an overnight thing? Is it like... So I don't understand exactly. The, is the, is well, are people staying there during the night? It doesn't matter. Or is it just the auditorium where they're having the... No, they're the, staying. It's a conference, so they're staying there. They're staying there. Okay, so it's not like they're staying in a hotel and they're having the conference. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that w- that was not really good planning then. No, right? Yeah. And and someone who's who's supportive of, of the whole thing was saying, and I thought it was just so ludicrous, was to say that, well, it says that I can't drink wine also, and... And, you know, I can refrain for a couple of days of drinking wine. So you guys should put on your big girl panties and and get over it. And I was like, comparing your wine drinking to someone's like sexual orientation and their whole like discrimination and lifestyle is just kind of ridiculous. It's not. Yeah, it is. And I'm not sure why you can't (laughs) drink wine. I mean, it's not like Christians don't drink wine. They have very in this particular camp. Okay. 
no wine drinking, no nudity, no firearms. I mean, what's in what's in what's in the cup that you're dipping the 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 bread in? The isn't that Catholic? Oh, that's Catholic. (laughs) We're gonna really get so. Wait, so Christians don't drink wine? I don't know, but this particular camp. I, I've they been said to some no. weddings, and they they this actually per- do quite good. This particular camp is a no. It's a okay. hard no. So, anyways, I thought well, I'm just that trying was to make. Of... I'm just trying to bring some levity. Yeah, some unbearable <laughs> lightness of being into our into this conversation because you know this can get really heavy and it can, and upsets a lot of people, and it's just too bad that we can't, you know, all sort of be uh, accepting. You know, I understand that that you need to be accepting of of these people and their desires so we should be accepting of of the church's thing and their desire but the two should i mean the planning should have been probably done differently i agree with that the point is trying to be more inclusive to people who have been marginalized so that's the whole point of the whole argument right and so yes we are swinging very far in the other direction and it feels like it's over the top. That's what a lot of people are saying. Like, yeah. oh my God, everybody's so sensitive. Da, 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 da. But we need to swing the other direction. And those of us who have been the ones who are, you know, what they, the word is escaping me, we're um, privileged, right? Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're privileged um, that we're going to be uncomfortable for a little while. And then and then hopefully everything will swing back into the middle. And I think that, that we just need well, to it be will. okay. Well, it, w- it will. That's the beauty of, 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 of if we can have civil, that's the, the beauty of civilization if you can avoid, you know, armed conflict is that things do t- tend to resolve themselves and they tend to find, they, they tend to find an equilibrium. That's, yeah. that's how things usually work. But you're right. You have to go to sometimes extremes to get things. Yeah, and a lot of important happen. things are happening. A lot of important changes are happening. A lot more conversations are happening in regards to this and women of color and women in general. And so I think. Yeah, you know, it's just that it's just that in this case, I think I agree with you 100. percent But I just think that in some things they have to pick their battles. They have to like choose. Okay, this is not one where we're gonna make a big thing. Not this case. But I'm just mm-hmm. saying, you know, because otherwise. That's what happens is people eventually, like you just said, that like, oh, they're so sensitive about everything. And it's like, you know, if, 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 if everybody is, is, is transphobic or whatever it is, then, then no one is. And, it, you know, and, then, and so you, you have to get to a point where, where, you know, there are certain issues that you have that are really intense and there are other issues that you could just say, well, that person probably doesn't understand that, but let's, you know, we'll, we'll let this one go. You just sort of have to do that. All right. I mean, there's anti-Semitism out there. Okay. I'm a Jew. Yeah. That's right? true. If, you know, I, I'm not going to like go nuts and, and Twitter bomb everybody who says something stupid. Mm-hmm. All right. And I'm not offended by that. I mean, I'm stronger than that. I maybe, and people could say, well, that's because you're, you know, you're a white male and you blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, it's not because of that. It's because, um, you know, I, I look at, I, my his, history, my, my history of my, people okay it's been one of persecution from yes. from day one yes all right but you know playing a victim is just not something that that you know we we tend to we tend to compensate by overachieving <laughs> as opposed to by playing victims because playing a victim is just you just punish yourself i think yeah but if someone if someone was talking about and and bringing up the fact that 
their family had suffered and there was, you know, brought up some of the topics from the Holocaust or something, we wouldn't necessarily tell them, like, you shouldn't be so upset about this. We would give them the space to be upset. And then when they chose that they were over it and they had had found their peace... Right. Then, you know, so it's the same but thing. But they shouldn't, they, shouldn't they shouldn't also expect everyone to accommodate their position. The point that they're making yes. is that they've been accommodating us for a very long time. And so they're not, they don't care if we're uncomfortable about it because they've had to be uncomfortable for so yeah, long. But you, so we've, they've accommodated us forever. I understand. I understand that. I guess yeah. maybe I'm just thinking in a simple terms, you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. I think we just have to let them speak about right, we'll what's just, important to them for right, right now. So we'll we'll just we'll just and listen. Of, try and listen we'll more. Leave it there. Listening is good. That's we why people that's why more. people listen to our podcast. Yeah. 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 I think that people would like to speak up during our podcast, but they can't because they don't have a microphone. And but, we're gonna we're gonna next do. year we're gonna have some kind of call in situation in twenty twenty. Uh, Bliss has big plans. <laughs> we're for the gonna podcast. figure it out. Twenty twenty. You do. You you have big plans for the podcast and I and I, just I appreciate have big plans that. about everything. Yeah. Yeah. You do. Yeah. I'm a big thinker. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you manage that? How do you like cope with the fact that things aren't happening quick enough because I'm an immediate gratification type. Well, I'm not really, but I I'd like to see results right away. That's why I can't work in the in a big uh, Oh man, look at there's the music. We better To be continued. That'll be on our next podcast. Just remember where we left off. I will. All right. So everybody, <laughs> this was an interesting podcast because it wasn't as uh, as joyful as some it was informative. We do hope that you do look into the blog, and we do hope that uh, you will look us up, share us, uh, refer us to your friends, comment. What's the word you like to use? Review. Yeah, and like write us letters. Us. We love your letters. Yeah, I do love the letters, and yeah. we've been getting a lot more of them. I've been select- selectively, I've been answering all of them, but I can pick out a few periodically. That's so awesome. again, you can find us at drseusspodcast.com. You can find us at iTunes. You can find us on the podcast app. Again, it's Dr. Sue's podcast. This has been number 151. Thank you for listening. We know that your time is, uh, is filled with all kinds of things to do, and we appreciate you listening to us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>